Last week, we looked at forgiveness. And I suppose if we were going to, at the yard, Mark said I had to do it in 60 seconds, a resume of what I had spoken on Sunday morning. It took me 75 seconds. Though. It took me 75 seconds. I think it was pretty good. Then he said, I'm only allowed 75 seconds for Sunday morning. So if I was going to, in a nutshell, say what last week was, it was simply this, nothing new happens without forgiveness. And I suppose that, in a way, this morning is a continuation of that um, theme. And I want to talk this morning about freedom. Um, and maybe we should summarize this morning in a similar way and say, only death leads to freedom. We would normally say only death leads to resurrection, but I'd like to say this morning, I'd like to say it like this. Only death leads to freedom. And we'll come to that in a second. I'm going to read, to begin with, from John chapter 8, uh, from verse 31 to 36. And then Martin's going to come and read from Galatians 5. John 8, 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Or in the Greek, the disciples isn't there. Then you are truly mine. And maybe that's stronger. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Thanks, Martin. So I'm going to read from Galatians 5, uh, verses 1 to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? 
In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I looked at all kinds of illustrations that we could use for freedom. And if you just do a quick Google, there's hundreds of quotes from uh, Nelson Mandela to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the the list goes on. Or there's uh, some slightly contentious illustrations that one could use, like um, William Wallace in Braveheart, um, that kind of thing. I've decided this morning to keep it as simple as I can in terms of the imagery and let the biblical imagery speak to us about what it means to be free and not to complicate it too much with talking about what, we, what it looks like to be enslaved or to be not free or to, 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 to pitch a whole lot of stuff in and to keep it as clean as possible because I'd like each of us to grapple with what it means to be free. Now, when Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says right at the beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. He's expressing the purpose which Jesus actually came for. Jesus came to set us free. He came to actually let us out of prison to emancipate us, to liberate us. Liberation is what it's all about. And that first verse has two elements to it. The one is an assertion that Paul makes. It's a simple assertion. It's not complicated. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. It wasn't for us to become slaves again. Paul has written to the Galatian church, and the issue that he's looking at is slavery versus freedom, circumcision versus uncircumcision. What it is that's happened to the Galatian church where they were under the law, they experienced the freedom of Christ, and then they've gone back to all the laws. And he says to them, it's for freedom that you were set free. You weren't freed in order to become enslaved again. And then the second thing that comes out of that verse is not just the assertion, but then the command that comes from it. Don't go back. Don't go back. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So, first of all, the assertion that he makes at the beginning there. What he's saying is that the way we were before we met Jesus was we were enslaved. We were slaves. We were in bondage. We were in prison. doesn't matter what language you used. And there is a tangible way of making... The imagery is simply that we were slaves. The second thing that it says to us is that Jesus is the one who liberates us. 
He is the liberator. He is the one who saves us, who sets us free, who emancipates us. So there is the image of imprisonment and the liberator who is Jesus. And conversion or that act of acknowledging Jesus is the way that we are emancipated. It's the moment of liberation. It's a little bit like Peter when he's in prison and the door has been opened. He has to get up and walk through the door. It's not something that is, is a passive issue. Yes, we receive the salvation, but conversion is this act, this motion of being emancipated, of being liberated. And then finally, to say that the Christian life is a life of freedom. Our lives should be marked by a differential to what we were before. We were enslaved. We were imprisoned. What does it look like now? How do you look like at the moment? What does your life look like now? What does it mean to be free? And I think that in this particular passage, although Paul addresses the issue of sin later, he's not dealing so much with the issue of sin here as a clear conscience, as, as freedom from guilt. And from the dreadful struggle that the Galatians have slipped back into of trying to keep the law, of trying to please God by doing this or doing that. For them it was circumcision as an expression. But anything that we do to try and please God in order to gain His approval is in a way slipping back to a yoke of slavery, to becoming imprisoned again. And that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't please God, but it does mean that we don't have to earn His pleasure. As we sang, His reckless love, as we've acknowledged, He gives us freely everything that we need. And so, the freedom is that we have been loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ. That is grace. And if we go back to trying to earn that, like the Galatians were, of trying to, to justify ourselves before God, we are always in a state of grace. We are always coming before Him with our hands open and saying, forgive us, accept us, love us. And He does. And he says, when you have experienced this freedom, then stand firm. Understand what it is to be free. And then don't slip back. Don't go back. Don't return to the slavery that you once had. To put it in, in a, a powerful imagery is what he's saying. Is that you don't, if you have been enslaved... And you are set free. And there are all kinds of movies that you can allude to here. But if you have been enslaved and you have been set free, you don't turn around after experiencing the joy and the liberation of being set free and say, oh, I'd like to go back. And Paul is saying, for us who follow Jesus, we must be exceptionally careful that we don't go back to the slavery that we were once in. He says, as, as he goes on here, slightly further on, since we have been set free, we must stand fast. And we must not lapse into the idea that we have to accept, we have to win the acceptance of God 
at all. And he talks about the ox being bowed down. Um, I've lost it. Anyway, the image is of an... I don't know where I've got it. An image of, is, is of an ox that has a huge burden placed upon it and is lifted off of it. The, the word in Greek is in the passive sense. So it's the sense of something being lifted off. Your sins are forgiven. It's been lifted off you. You have been set free. You have been liberated. You can stand tall again. He died for our sins. And we are free. Now, the image that I want to leave with you when we talk about freedom is, is going back to an Old Testament image. And one of the most powerful images in the whole of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And you have the, the picture of Israel who go down into Egypt and after a whole number of years, there's a, a whole process where they have become completely entangled in the life of the Egyptian culture and economy, but not in a good way. They are enslaved. They are doing labor that is building and making bricks out of straw, and it is heavy on them. And God promises to liberate them. He hears their cries. And I'm not going to go into too much detail now, but we have the whole thing of Moses going into the desert, of God calling him and him coming back to Pharaoh's house, of all the various confrontations with Pharaoh and the court, the plagues that come, that develops into this one that comes right at the end, which is the Passover, where a lamb, a lamb is offered as a sacrifice in the place of the firstborn in the home. And the blood of the lamb is sprinkled on the lintel, the doorway, the threshold of the house. And as death passes over, it literally passes over, the angel of death passes over those houses, and they are saved. They are free. And in that moment of passing over, and the death that comes to all the firstborn of Egypt, Israel grabs up their skirts and they take what they have and they begin to move. And they move out. They are being set free. They are leaving enslavement. As they leave, Pharaoh says, we can't have this state of affairs. And he chases after them. When we leave our imprisonment, when we are set free of Jesus, you can be absolutely certain that the enemy will chase after you to hook you back again and to keep you as a captive, as a slave. And Paul writes eloquently in Ephesians about um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and there's so many places your enemy like a, a lion is roaring and there's so much to, to say. The image, though, is that as we stand with an intractable barrier ahead of us, the water stands ahead of us, 
God makes a way and it parts and they go through. And the, the images of Israel being baptized and going in and being buried and coming out and being resurrected on the other side. It's death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus uses that imagery when he talks about what's happening. And Paul uses that imagery of us being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He's saying, we, we died. We were buried in baptism and we were resurrected to new life. We were set free. And they come out on the other side of the river and the sea comes together and swamps all the Egyptians and they celebrate, they have a party on the other side. And the idea was at that point that they were going to move from there straight on into the promised land. They were going to move from a place of slavery through this baptism and resurrection. They were going to move from death to life, to a land of promise, where the fullness of God's blessing would rest upon them. God's favor, His forgiveness, His grace, all that would be there. And then things went slightly wrong. And there was this, back a few years, actually, a few decades, there was this whole thing that if you sinned and were disobedient to God, you would wander in the desert for 40 years. And that's what happened to Israel. But we live under grace, guys. And I do sin. I do make things that are, I do things that are absolutely not what God wants from me. But it doesn't mean that I have to wander for 40 years. I'm not, I don't become enslaved again because of what's happening and what's, what's part of my life. Because of the thing that we spoke about last week is that I am forgiven over and over and over again. I come before him every morning. His mercies are new. He is faithful. Every, every day we have the capacity to celebrate the fact that we are set free from the curse of sin and the law and judgment and all that kind of stuff. Because Jesus took it for us. And no matter how many times we mess up and do things that we are unhappy with or ashamed of or feel guilty about, we are always able to continue our journey into the promised land, into the land of promise, the fullness of God. We have been delivered. When Jesus calls the 12 and then the 70, what he's saying to them is go out and tell people that they can be whole. Go and pray for them that they would be healed. Go and pray for them that they would be set free. They come back, after the 70 come back and they say, even the demons listen to us. People were set free. We are set free. We are liberated. Don't go back. Stand in the freedom that you have and don't go back. Question really is, look, look around you. People are enslaved. People are imprisoned. Whether it's they're slaves to fashion or they're enslaved 
Think about political enslavement, economic enslavement. People are longing for freedom of so many kinds, emotional things. We live in a world that is imprisoned. Jesus sets us free. There's a passage in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. Verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, is liberty, is freedom. Jesus has come that we might be set free. And he gives to us his Spirit so that we can live in that freedom. That we don't go back to it. And, and back to the kind of slavery that we once knew. We are set free from everything that there is. The law, sin, Corruption, fear, anxiety, there's so many things that we could list. Don't want to focus on that stuff. But today, we need to work out what it means for each of us, for me and for you, to live in freedom. Now, that freedom is not absolute. But we are set free to actually live. To live full lives, to live creative lives, to live lives that are um, a blessing to others. To live in the fullness of God's love and kindness. We are set free to change. We can change. We are set free to fail even. Because there is the grace of God that allows us to stand up again one more time than we fall down. And here's the crux of it for me this morning. We are set free to die. Jesus says to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone in the old translation. It just remains a seed. The potential of it is encapsulated in that thing. When it dies to what it is and is buried in the ground, something happens. And there is a resurrection that takes place and new life begins to pour out. And in, in time, as things develop and grow, there is a fruitfulness to that dying. In 2 Peter, Peter writes this to a church that is being persecuted. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as slaves of God. And there's this kind of paradox where Paul is saying, you have been set free. And if you read the New Testament, Paul, more than any other author, uses this concept of freedom to try and express what it means to be in Christ. And Galatians, Romans, Corinthians are primary examples of that. But Peter is saying, we need to be slaves of Christ. Now, we need to live as free people, but we need to be living as slaves to God. What is he saying? There's a fascinating verse in um, Psalm 40. It says this, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Or... <coughs> Literally, dug. You have dug my ears. 
you have pierced my ears. And the imagery that he's alluding to there is this imagery of slavery. In the Old Testament, when slaves had worked through a period, and we're not going to go into all the details of it now, but when they had come to a place where they were being set free by their masters, those slaves, if the master had been good, the slave would turn around and say, here I am, I give myself back to you. And the master would then take the slave and he would put him up against the doorpost of the house and with an awl, an awl is a woodworking tool, it's like a, a really sharp thing, like a nail almost. He would put their ear against the doorpost of the door and he would pin them to the door through their ear. Their ear would be done, it would be pierced. And wherever that person went, there was a mark in them that showed that they had been a slave in one way or another. But that they had chosen to be a slave in a different sense. And what Jesus is saying to us when he says, except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he's saying, you have been completely liberated. You have been set free. You've been saved, healed, restored, forgiven, accepted, loved, all that stuff. The fullness of God that he has for you is given to you. Peter is saying, don't use that as a pretext to go and do whatever you like. But he says, what you do, the honest and the real response to that kind of love and kindness and acceptance is that you turn around and you say, I'm yours. And God marks us out. He, he sticks us up against the doorpost. And he marks us as his. How are we marked? There was so much written in the 70s and 80s and maybe even still today. I don't read the stuff anymore. But about the mark of the beast. And with all sorts of... Um, Amazing conjecture. That's not what we care about. What we care about is what is the mark of the Christian? What marks us as being slaves to Christ? Love is the mark of the Christian. Kindness, joy, peace. Those are the marks that, that the Spirit of God rests upon us. That's the fruit that shows that we have died and been buried and have been resurrected to new life. And so Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, be a slave to Christ. Peter says, we are slaves to Christ. What they're saying is that the symbol of a free life is the cross. The liberation that comes is because Jesus freely accepted what God had placed for him, and he died and was buried and resurrected to new life. We come and we say, we also understand that freedom for us is crucifixion and burial and resurrection. And we participate in Christ's crucifixion and burial and resurrection. All that he did has been made real for me. But then as we turn around and give ourselves as slaves to God, he says, well, now it's your turn. You need to die and be buried and resurrected. And that's a constant process. That's what it means to be free. 
And that's why I said at the beginning, death is the prerequisite for freedom. In the larger sense of what Christ does for us, but in the daily sense of moving forward and becoming liberated people, of becoming free people, large, spacious people, we die to ourselves. We, 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 with humility, accept that we now are a slave of God. We serve Him, and we serve each other, and we serve all the people we come across. Those who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven need to be the least. We need to die to all our ego stuff and all the other stuff that we have in order to experience the freedom that God has called us to be. We are unfree people often because we hang on to so much of the junk in our lives. We read from John, and I'm end off here, is that John, where Jesus says to his disciples, or to the Jews as well, if you live in me, then you are truly mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they say, we are Abraham's offspring. We live in freedom. We, we participate in what the Exodus, we celebrate the Passover. And he, he turns it around on them and he talks about the slave and the son. And he goes on to say, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The iconic passage in Philippians 2 is about Jesus who is the son, who is willing to take upon himself the form of a servant and to suffer and die that life may come, that there may be resurrection. If we want to be free, we are not greater than our master. We need to be willing to not only live in the good of what he's done for us, but to be willing to die daily to live free lives. <clears throat>